You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Uh-oh, guess what day it is. Guess what day it is. Huh? Anybody? Mike, 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 Mike. What day is it, Mike? <laughs> Woo-hoo! Welcome to Earth Station One, a weekly podcast dedicated to all things sci-fi, fantasy, and much, much more. Sit back and relax and enjoy the show. Hey there, listeners. Welcome to another episode of Earth Station One. That's right, folks. We're back. And actually, Darren is back with us again, and he is taking us all down to South Beach, Miami, and we are going to see The Birdcage. A very interesting movie from 1996 that opened a lot of people's eyes, and some people didn't even realize it was a remake. And it's going to be very interesting to talk all about this. And, you know, to me being Armand, this is my Albert, Mr. Mike Gordon. <laughs> Howdy! How are you, sir? Fussy, 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 fussy. Madonna, Madonna, Madonna. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so much fun. Um, for those people like me until uh, recently that haven't seen The Birdcage, um, we are going to be spoiling it. So do yourself a favor and go ahead and watch it. Um, it's on HBO Max. Uh, we don't get plugged by then, I wish. Uh, oh, but, if uh, only we got that kind of money. <laughs> it is uh, it is available there. And um, so go ahead and watch it. Um, you know, if you really want to uh, do full research like I did, you'll watch the original, La Caja Fall. Um, that one you'll have to seek out a little bit uh, more uh, from other service, streaming service. But um, well worth it. And uh, check back with us. Very much so. It's going to be a lot of fun to talk all about this one. And you know what? It's going to be neat because I haven't seen this one in a few years. So it was nice to revisit seeing characters. It almost seemed like it was seeing some old friends. So it was a ton of fun. And I think Judy hadn't seen it probably in like a dozen years. So it was even more fun for her to be able to catch up on it. And so it was neat. Can't wait to talk all about it. We've got a great full show for you tonight. So definitely check it out. And, you know, we definitely would love to hear from you guys. Please write us feedback at earthstation1.com. Let us know what you guys thought of Birdcage or if you had seen Lakaja Falls or if you've seen the musical even. You know, we definitely would love to hear from you guys. Please, earthstation1 email, feedback at earthstation1.com. Always nice. Of course, we give a huge shout out, of course, to everyone who's listening, but especially our patrons. Our patrons are awesome. And as a little special treat for you guys, we have done the third episode of ESO Rants and Raves, where we talk about what we've liked, what we've seen, what we're keeping up with, or what we're keeping having interested in. And, and you know what? We talked about a great one this time. We talked about Doom Patrol Season 3. We talked about Season 1 and 2 way back in September of this last year. But you know what? We got to watch Season 3 all together, and you know what? It was a great time to do. So check out Rants and Raves. And, you know, all you have to do is go to patreon.com slash ESO network and become a patron too. And you know what? It's open to all levels. So you don't even, you could be a dollar, you could be a $5, you could be a $10 or even a $15. It just doesn't depend. It doesn't matter. It just, you know, it's all there for you. And we want to just do it by saying thank you to our patrons. That's really cool. Also a big thank you to our friends over to Fozy Optics. Fozy Optics is celebrating the new year with brand new styles of sunglasses. That's right. 
summertime and spring is coming right around the corner and Tifosi Optics is there for you. They've got you covered. If you want to play video games, you want gamer glasses, they have that. If you want to do some sports stuff, which we don't know about here on the network, we basically, you know, talk about, you know, game stuff like, you know, sports ball and, you know, or as Mike's pointing on his head, World Series champions, you know, is that for the Georgia Bulldogs or the Atlanta Braves? Wow. I'm joking. It's not a G. It's an A. I know what the difference is. So it's really cool. But definitely check it out. Tifosioptics.com. There's a way of saying thank you. Earth Station One is the code you put in to get 10% off your whole order. Just not your one thing, your whole order. Tifosioptics.com. Definitely check it out. And now we're here for the interview slash geek seat segment and we're here with our new friend allison church welcome author creative person all around great person welcome to earth station and, I, and I do stuff thank you you do stuff, <laughs> do stuff. yes i do yes. stuff yeah <laughs> absolutely welcome to the station um for those people who may not be familiar with you and your work uh, just a little bit about you Oh, okay. Uh, I've I've been writing ever and published since 1997, but I've been doing that under my dead name. Oh, sorry, that's me. I'm going to turn that off. All right. It's just you got to put a quarter in the bin. No, it's like. <laughs> All right. Um, did, did she get caught with the, her pants down again with the, the ringer? Yes. Ah. Uh-huh. <laughs> she told me she was my friend. No. <laughs> um, I've uh, been writing since 1997 and published under my dead name. Um, I like watching uh, or I like writing horror, science fiction, dark fantasy, and uh, a little bit of history. Um, I'm very, very uh, into writing stuff that questions the status quo, which to mm-hmm. borrow a quote from Dr. Horrible isn't so quo anymore. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> very well put. Um, and very geeky of you. Uh, we appreciate that. Of course. Um, uh, when did you first get the sort of inklings that you wanted to tell stories? When was that? Did you grow up with in a, in a, in a environment where you were attracted to storytelling? Well, um, my father had a job that required him to go to all four corners of the country. He mm-hmm. worked for Exxon. And um, I was always the new kid on the block. And uh, it's hard to make friends when they got clicks. So I would just immerse myself in fiction and I would tell stories. Whenever the When I was in English class or literature class and we were doing the creative writing section, my heart would pound like 60 miles an hour and I would just – immerse myself in writing a short story that would turn into a small novella. And I loved it so much. I said, you know, this is a good gig. I'm going to see if I can do something with this. Awesome. Awesome. (laughs) What, as far as creatively, what are some of your influences? Oh, who I should say. Um, Yeah. um, Richard Matheson. Ooh, good point. Yeah. Stephen King and Rod Serling. Ah, yes. Yes. Definitely folks uh, who were not afraid to challenge uh, the status quo, as you were saying. Oh, it's like I just got through reading one of Stephen King's uh, books that's hard to find. It's called Rage. And he wrote about the uh, genesis and reasons why school shootings happen way before it became, uh, you know, a CNN headline. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. he he hates that book with a passion now because he thinks that everybody was influenced by it. I oh, no. I tend to not agree with that. I mean, people have free will. It, to me, it would take something a little bit more than a writer's muse to get somebody to go over that threshold. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but writers are very po- powerful people. They have a responsibility, and uh, I think all three of those gentlemen are masters at it. Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about your work. Um, and as far as, uh, some, like one of the, the, now is it short stories? Is it novellas or? I, I have one novella and the rest of them are novels. Okay. Uh, my favorite novel is a, a horror novel and it's called Dark Passenger. Mm-hmm. Basically, it is a horror novel that takes place on the Titanic. And wow. they, it's like it's a cross between a Basil Rathbone kind of Jack the Ripper, Sherlock Holmes uh, story with a little bit of a hammer horror's kick to it. So in this story, it wasn't the iceberg that sank the Titanic. It was a mummy's curse, kind of like the, the uh, curse of King Tutankhamun. Uh, she did not want to be disturbed and someone did not pay attention. And whoopsie. <laughs> I um I checked out when I was looking at uh, your website and everything. Of course, I checked out the uh, the book trailers, uh, which are really nice. And this one's got some really cool like comic art- artwork associated with it. It's very very atmospheric, very very much like a Tales of the Crypt kind of thing. I was going for that. I'm actually going to I'm doing a series that has two books in it. And that's the first one. Uh, it's called the uh, uh, Suspense and Horror series. Uh, the second book in that series is called Drop Dead Gorgeous. Mm-hmm. And basically it does, it, it had uh, something to do with actually who I am now because I am transgender. And the, um, the plot of the book is that there's this husband that cheats on his wife and she goes bonkers because he was the center of her universe. And the next thing you know, she knocks him out, puts him in her basement, which has a lab in it. She's a, she's a scientist that's into RNA research and stuff like that. And she decides to make sure that he will never cheat on another woman again by turning him inch by inch into the most beautiful woman science can create. Hmm. And if that's not scary to your average <laughs> male, I don't know what would be. <laughs> and, and, and wackiness ensues, right? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. In addition to horror, it seems like you've got some, um, shall I say, dark fantasy? Is that fair? Yes. Yes, uh, as well. I, yes, I have um, a trilogy called uh, the Known World Chronic- Chronicles, which is spelled without the K. Um, it's a story about um, a knight, kind of like a Lancelot character. He's a knight errant. He's like the hero of his nation, who gets blamed by a Wicca master, which is sort of a female wizard, for a crime he did not commit. And for his punishment, she turns him into the most beautiful woman on his planet. And to add insult to injury, because he's a very, you know, protocol-esque kind of person, she makes him fall in love with his squire. And then in the course of this uh, trilogy, their quest is to, for him to get back his manhood, find the wizard that did this. However, unbeknownst to him, his squire has fallen in love with the present her. And he is caught in a dilemma that all squires have where they got to do what their master seeks. Now, his is 
do I help my master finish her quest and lose my true love? Because he, he goes above the curse and actually falls in love with her. Mm-hmm. Wow. And there's wizards, there's vampires, there's elves, there's dragons, and all kinds of stuff like that. And it takes place on an alien world called Known. And at the end of it, it's kind of like uh, Excalibur meets Independence Day. Gotcha. Gotcha. And this is a trilogy, you said? Yes. Yes. Gotcha. Uh, the first book is called The Misadventures of Quran the Night. The second one is called The Lurker War. And the last one's called The Return of Quran the Night. Yeah, gotcha. Gotcha. Um, and, and what about um, your most recent project? The most re- recent one that I've done is a, is a romance fantasy, believe it or not, called Knowing God. And it's a story about a gentleman who tries to commit suicide uh, for him. And thank God it, it fails. But he has a near-death experience. And he goes down the tunnel of light. And he sees the rendering of this female that looks at him and says, go back. And, of course, he goes back. And after about a month and a half in a, a mental hospital, because you can't do something like that and not pay the consequences, <laughs> uh, he, find, he goes out at, and he finds this rather annoyingly perfect woman named Amanda. And uh, she barely understands English, doesn't know the simple things. Like she'll look at a stick of butter, and, you know, kind of like the, uh, the Neanderthals at the monolith at 2001. She doesn't know what it is. And basically after a while, when he finally meets a winged man named Gabriel, who is protecting her, she confesses that she's God. Hmm. And there are some people that don't like that work because I went on the uh, artistic license that everything, everything we know about faith, religion, and uh, the ceremonies therein, even religious mythology, we got it all wrong uh, across the board from Judaic people all the way to Islamic people. We got it wrong. Mm -hmm. And um, some people don't like the way that I kind of, did that like for example that she's there's one time amanda is griping about the uh the, the garden of eden story and she says oh and by the way it wasn't an apple it was a peach <laughs> <laughs> you know, little stuff like that gotcha gotcha so it sounds like it's a it's got a little bit of a dark comedy to it a little bit it is does that, yeah it does. yeah um that book knowing god and, and um Dark Passenger won the best of awards from audiobook reviewer this year. Nice. Um, Dark, Dark Passenger got the best in occult horror and uh, Knowing God got the best in fantasy romance. Wow. Congratulations. That's Thank awesome. You. That's really I was cool. bouncing off the walls for hours. <laughs> <laughs> so it sounds, it sounds like um, you are uh, diving into some different sort of genres. Um, yes. and, and so what do you look for, for inspiration when you, when you actually commit to writing a story? That's a very tricky question. Uh, for like Dark Passenger, a horror novel that took place on the Titanic. Mm-hmm. I was watching a documentary way back in 1985. Yes, I'm that old. <laughs> and it was a, it was you're a, among, you're among older folks. <laughs> <laughs> I was watching this documentary because at the time it was just right when they discovered the wreck of the Titanic and they had this, uh, live from Paris, France kind of two hour, 
a show that was hosted by the late great Telly Savalas. And he, they were telling the story about the curse of the mummy case. And I looked this up. It was actually, um, it's folklore slash could almost be factual because there was a mummy's case that was in the t- cargo hold of the Titanic going back to the New York Museum of Natural History. And uh, that just made my, my mind go crazy. I took that fact and I added steroids to it. <laughs> it's like when, when I was creating it, I don't know if other people do this when they write, but in my mind, I have this panoramic movie that's going on as I'm creating and writing my story. I'm seeing the people and the characters and stuff. And as I was writing that book, I was thinking one of the uh, Amicus or Hammer films that starred uh, Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing. Nice. I mean, Friday Fright Night was not Friday Fright Night if you did not watch one of those type of movies. So that's weird. Um, Also, knowing God kind of made me, it was weird. I don't seem to get inspirations that actually attach themselves to the story. But I was at a Barnes & Noble and I was in one of their uh, Starbucks you know, thing. I was just drinking a coffee and I saw this couple that was like right down the hall and the woman gets up, splashes all of her coffee on the guy, smacks and waves. And I'm going, now what would happen if that was God? That's how I got the story for that. It could be As you would. It could be, it could be anything that will inspire me. And that's the exciting thing about it. I don't know when the next one's going around the corner. Nice. Well, it definitely sounds exciting. Um, and I look forward to, and of course, suggest people check these out. Um, where can people go to find out about um, your, your past projects, your current projects? Uh, the best place to go is my website. Uh, to honor who I used to be, it is uh, under my, my dead net. So if somebody wants to go to my website, all they got to do is go to donaldallenkirch.com. And mm-hmm. Donald Allen Kirch is one word, no spaces. And Allen is A-L-L-E-N. I, um, I'm not kind of like, I'm not like um, my fellow transgender uh, people. Um, I do not um, hate who I was. I honor who I was because without him, I would not be who I am today. I would not exist. And um, I figured the best way to do that was all the novels that he wrote. He should get the credit for. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. And 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 so uh, going forward, they will be branded uh, under uh, Allison uh, Church. Allison. Gotcha. Yes. Gotcha. Okay. Well, we will definitely have, and that makes it. Thank you, because uh, we'll have, have a uh, link to the website so people can go there and check that out. Uh, also, um, there I I see that they're available on uh, Amazon and and most places where you can get great books, right? Yep. And um. Uh, there, most of them are also available on Audible if they're into uh, audiobooks and want something to listen to while they're going to and from work. Yes, absolutely. That is a that is a very popular thing. I, I'm still like I I I can read the audios or I can listen to audios every once in a while, but um, I like I like just sitting down with a good book, man. Uh, I do too. I have a Kindle. <laughs> it's wonderful, but I prefer you know a hard paperback or hardback book. Yep. But then, you know, we already established we're old. So <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. It's good to have the options. And I also like the fact that, um, you know, you've got the, the, the trailers. Um, I personally am a big fan of book trailers. So, um, <laughs> uh, you've got those going on as well. So that's awesome. So people can really get a sense of what, uh, the atmosphere is like. Thank you. Um, 
Mike, I, I think she's ready. I think she's ready for the Geek Siege. We've, uh, we found out what she's done. Now let's find out what she's really passionate about. Oh, we're finding already out what she's passionate about. Listen to <laughs> some of these books she's written. It's pretty amazing. Absolutely. Uh, I'm definitely looking forward to hearing what her answers are going to be. All right. Let's strap her down and, you know, get her ready for these questions. Allison, what was your favorite geek out moment? Um, quite possibly uh, riding up an elevator with William Shatner. Really? Do tell. Yes. I, I was at a convention at the Disneyland Hotel in Los Angeles many moons ago during his TJ Hooker days. <laughs> and uh, I get in an elevator and it starts to close and then it opens back up and William Shatner walks in and I'm Did going, go, no, no, I was like catatonic <laughs> because this was Kirk. This is Kirk, you know, um, he stands there. I don't say a word and he kind of looks over at me. He's eyeballing me. He's waiting for it. And I'm looking over at him going, he's probably been pestered so much today. I feel like I should give him his space. And he goes, we go up six floors, not saying a dang word. Hmm. And then um, the door opens up. He opens up on the fifth floor, obviously his floor. And he gets out and he turns around and he looks at me and says, thank you. I, re I assume that was in regards to leaving him alone. Yeah. But that was my favorite geek out moment. I talked about that for six hours until people started throwing stuff at me and told me to shut up. <laughs> <laughs> he, he probably was thanking you for his, like, just a few seconds of quiet that he had. Mm, yes. Exactly. And, and you didn't go up to him. And in episode 204, when no. you went to the, uh, when you were beaming down to the Romulan plant, you know, anything like that. <laughs> well, I, I love Star Trek, all of it. Uh, but I don't give a damn what Kirk's combination on his safe is. <laughs> it has nothing to do with that universe. That's understandable completely. That's awesome, though. That is awesome. <laughs> What's your most disappointing geek out moment? Oh, yeah. Um, I was at a Dragon Con, and I got to meet um, the Eighth Doctor. Yes. He must have been, he must have been tired. Uh, because I heard antics because, you know, at cons, gossip goes around faster than, you know, COVID. <laughs> <laughs> and um, someone said that the security guards had to chase him all over the uh, the room because he grabbed a golf cart and he was just driving around and he didn't even have permission to do it. Ooh. So, so I go up and I meet him. And I'm dressed up as Captain Jack. And I got the uniform and the coat the coat is wonderful by the way um i look at him and he, he signs my work and i was pretty geeked out about that just the i bent down and i looked at him and i said i want to thank you for your work i enjoy it a lot and he just kind of looked at me and raised an eyebrow and just totally looked looked like he ignored me like go away doctor who peasant wow <laughs> so, wow like said those people are under tremendous pressure at that time he was doing the lord of the rings trilogy so i'm sure he was jet lagged uh which he, in my opinion he was one of the best wizards on that trilogy but that's me and i just i forgave him and said okay maybe next time uh, we can sit and chat and geek out fair enough yeah that's fair enough you sometimes you know i, I always hate it because when you hear about certain people meeting their heroes or their celebrities that they have a crush on or something like that. And 
it's not what they expected. And it taints their feelings towards them, which well, it shouldn't. Yeah. And um, I always tell people when they go and meet these people, they got to realize, bottom line, these people are human too. They yeah. have they're exhausted. They get frustrated. They don't walk on water. <laughs> no, exactly. They're just, they put on their pants, you know, one leg at a time, just like you and me. And you might have just caught them at a really bad instance. Yeah. Maybe, maybe they had a zipper malfunction. Oh, exactly. Cause we have a, <laughs> we have a similar thing with the fifth doctor. So we understand. Uh, we'll talk about that off the air though. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what geeks you out the most? If I can find people who stand out the stereotypical, like, you know, the way that we perceive cliques and groups. Like if I see a bank president who wants to talk about like 2001 or Logan's Run or Kolchak, the Night Stalker, or, you know, stuff like that, that I watched and was my kingdom. I'd like, oh my God, let's go in the corner and waste a couple hours talking about nothing. Totally understand that. I feel the exact <laughs> same way. You and I are on the same boat. Oh, I just love talking about that stuff because it's like, well, when people ask me how old I am and I don't want to tell them how old I am, I go, well, I remember Fraggle Rock. I remember 8-track tape players. I remember pay telephones. Exactly. Upset. <laughs> yeah, we, I, I'm going to just sit over here depressed for the rest of the geek seat. It's okay. <laughs> what turns your geek off? People who have preconceptions or misjudgments about geeks. I mean, they are passionate about the, what they're passionate about, I mean, wine, cheese, and yeah. I mean, I grant them the fact that that gets their motor running. And no one has the right to judge what gets a person's motor running, unless it's, unless it's illegal or unethical. Uh, and what we're doing is totally American. I mean, there are people out there that probably know how many times the funds you know, put his thumb up, thumbs up and say, hey, and stuff like that. There are people out there that memorize this stuff. It's, it's, it's like a second religion to them. And nobody has the right to rain on our parade. Hmm? You know, if you rain on how many times the Fonz went, hey, I'll rain on how many times uh, Terry Bradshaw scored a touchdown with the, the Pittsburgh Steelers in the 1970s. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah. You know, so you could do the same thing right back at them, you know. And it's, as we like to say on the show, geek equals passion. And, you know, you don't have to like Star Trek or Star Wars or whatever, but you could be a geek about sports or theater or nature or artwork or taking a road trip, whatever, you know. You know, what kind of, you could be a geek about what kind of jerky is at Bucky's? You know, it's all anything. Well, Bucky's is a religious experience. Oh, trust me. <laughs> I went for the first time a couple of weeks ago and I was, I still hear the, oh, you know, from Bucky. And <laughs> oh. So what fictional character would you like to meet the most? Oh, that's a hard one. That's a hard one. Quite possibly. It's a tie between Sherlock Holmes and Mr. Spock. Oh, okay. Very interesting. Very, very interesting. What character would you like to meet the least? Darth Vader. I can understand that. 
I don't think you would last or anyone would last very long, you know. So. Well. What is your favorite geek word, phrase, quote, or pose? Live long and prosper. See, that's a, that's a quote and a pose. And a pose. That is awesome. <laughs> and, and for those people who are listening, um, obviously you can't see what you did, but you know. If you know the phrase, you know the pose. Yes, very much so. What is your ideal geek occupation? Uh, in a weird way, I would like to be uh, a continuing character on a Star Trek series. Oh, that would be awesome. I think, it, I think it would be cool. I mean, they have they have openly um, alternative lifestyle characters on the show, yes, which is wonderful. But I think that they should have a transgender character on the show. Who was it? Everybody knew this person as you know alpha male and all that, and suddenly, in like the middle of the season, decides I'm going to change my form. And then go through the whole process of not only what that character is going through, but also what the crew is going through. Because obviously it affects them too, because they knew this person as alpha male guy. No, totally understand that. And watching the crew, how they react to it, how they adjust to it. And you hope in the future, it should be almost commonplace in some ways. Well, it, I, I have a feeling that in the future, you're going to be able to walk in and six hours later, come out who you want to be. Uh, but uh, there's still that, like the parents, um, if they had a son, they're losing a son, but they're also gaining a daughter. You know, that kind of that kind of dynamic, it, it fascinates me, and I'm living through it. <laughs> mm. Absolutely, I, I'm, I'm actually kind of surprised they haven't done that already. No, I agree. Would it would be awesome if they did. I would be, I'd be all in favor of it. I really would be. What geek occupation would you not like to do? Hmm. There are some, I wouldn't want to be a PA, a production, a production assistant, because they're lower than the low. Gerbils have power in the world. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, I could see that. I totally could see that. You know, I have friends of mine who worked as PAs and the stories they have told me. It's pretty well, amazing. The good thing is that if they're a good PA and they have passion, they grow up to become legends themselves. That's true. That is true. A lot of them go on to be producers or directors or writers and so many different things. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. All right, Allison, are you ready for your final question in the geek seat? Sure. All right. She's too calm about this. I was going to say, she looks like she could do like 10 more. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) All right, Allison. What is your ultimate geek fantasy? I would actually, um, in in my own little universe, I would like to be sitting at a coffee table at a Starbucks or a restaurant, you know, just enjoying the scenery outside, and then have a voice come up to me from nowhere and say, excuse me. And I look at them and they say, are you Ellison Church? I go, yes. Then they say, thank you. And I go, why? Say, because at my darkest point, at my saddest level of life, I read one of your books. 
kept me from seeking harm. You actually made my day. You served a purpose in my life. I don't think there's a creative person out there that wouldn't want some kind of um, feedback because sometimes when you hear from your family, you know, oh, it's great. Yeah, they're telling you that because they don't want to ruin or hurt your feelings. I have someone out of the blue tell me that I entertained them and I made a difference. That's not only a geek fantasy. I hope one day it turns into a geek reality. Absolutely. Wow. That is awesome, man. That is really, really super. I hope that comes true for you, and I have a good feeling that it will. I, I really, really do, too. Thank you. Allison, I've got some great news for you. You've made it through the Geek Seat. Congratulations! Huzzah! Huzzah! Mike Gordon, tell the young lady what she's won. You have won a lifetime subscription to the ESO Network, a value easily worth $32.08. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> No rice aroni. I came here for the rice aroni. Does that go? That go fishing rod. Do they even make rice aroni anymore? Oh God, yes, they do. Okay, oh, it is the San Francisco treat. The whole city would, you know, revolt against us. I guess so. So uh, it's been great having you on the station. Um, In addition to uh, getting your works, because we already uh, we have a link to that definitely in our show notes. You mentioned that you go to Dragon Con, other conventions are. Are you doing conventions right now? Are you kind of holding steady, or what's what's their plan for going this year? No, uh, this year um, I'm going to focus more on the three novels that I'm currently writing. Three, um, goodness, ambitious. Yep, one sci-fi and the other two are horror. Uh, just to try to hone my skills, and I'm not yet, uh, you know, a, a Jedi master, <laughs> but. I, I, I live with the philosophy basically from Stephen King and Ernest Hemingway. Uh, Stephen King writes every day with the exception of Christmas and his birthday. And Ernest Hemingway, Ernest Hemingway said, if you can write at least one sentence a day, you're doing your job. Yeah. There you go. There you go. Uh, you know, the least you can do, right? <laughs> but, you're moving, you, but you're still moving forward. Yes, yes. It's it's sometimes it's a challenge because life has a exceptional talent of sometimes kicking you and making you fall on your bootay. <laughs> true, 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 true. Absolutely. Well, it's been great having you join us. Certainly, when uh, the books are ready for release, feel free to come back and let us know about them. We'd love to have you back on the show. I would love to come. We would awesome. love to chat with you more. You've been amazing. So <laughs> thank you. Let's take a quick break and we will be back and we're going to go be taking a visit to the birdcage. This is Ashley Pauls with this week's Box Office Buzz. It's another one of those weeks in January where there's really not a whole lot new at the box office, but there's plenty to choose from on streaming, so I'm going to talk a little bit about that instead. 
I don't know if you have had a chance to watch Encanto on Disney Plus yet or not, but it's really fun. I have really enjoyed it. I'm actually in the middle of watching it for the second time just because it's so colorful and fun. And you've probably heard the song, We Don't Talk About Bruno yet because it's everywhere. But if you watch the movie, it will definitely get stuck in your head. So it would be a great time to stay home and get caught up on that movie. Also new to Disney Plus is the MCU movie Eternals. I would say I was fairly hard on Eternals when I reviewed it. I was really looking forward to it, but ended up being fairly disappointed. Now that it's on Disney Plus, I do kind of feel like I should give it another chance just to see if maybe it was a case of my expectations being too high or maybe a rewatch will help me kind of solidify why it didn't work for me as well. But I would definitely encourage you to watch it if you haven't seen it yet just because the buzz on it was very mixed but I do know some people who really liked it so just in case you might be one of those people who really enjoyed it I would recommend you checking it out finally Star Wars fans everyone's probably caught up with the book of Boba Fett this series has been super interesting so far in that I didn't really know what to expect from it and yet somehow it's kind of going ways that I didn't expect I thought the first two episodes were really interesting, what happens between Boba Fett and the Tusken Raiders. The third episode was kind of eh for me, which I feel like is hard because this is a limited series with so few episodes, so everyone has to really pack a punch. But again, I think that this is one, it is called the Book of Boba Fett. So basically, I feel like we need to see all the chapters before I make a final judgment call on the series. And of course, it's Star Wars, so I'm going to keep watching. That's it for this week's Box Office Buzz. If you're interested in more entertainment-related content, be sure to check out my blog on the ESO Podcast website. Right now, I'm working on a special project where I set up some entertainment challenges for myself this year just to get outside my comfort zone, think outside the box a little bit in terms of what I write about. And I just recently watched a short film, Paper Man, also on Disney+. Plus. A lot of Disney Plus mentions tonight. Really enjoyed that. And then I also watched a documentary, and I'm going to be blogging about that soon. Hey, you know how you don't have any friends? It's fine. The Flopcast will be your friend. Your weird podcast friend. Join us on The Flopcast every week for a silly conversation about cartoons, music, comic books, chickens, and obscure 80s pop culture trivia that no one, literally no one, could possibly care about. Find us at Flopcast.net and on the ESO Network. It'll be our little secret. Pop, I'm getting married. <laughs> it's a girl. I met her at school. It's this wonderful... Uh, what, what are you... Are you upset? But let me tell you why. Don't use that tone to me. What tone? That sarcastic, contemptuous tone that means you know everything because you're a man and I know nothing because I'm a woman. You're not a woman. Oh, you bastard. Are you crazy? You can't get married. It's out of the question. We've been sleeping together for a year. Oh, God. Has he been tested? Oh, Kevin! Yes, and so have I. Oh! Uh, who's his father? His father is in the arts. You do an eclectic celebration of the dance. You do fussy, fussy, fussy. You do Martha Graham, Martha Graham, Martha Graham. You're Madonna, Madonna, Madonna. But you keep it all inside. What does the mother do? She's a housewife. Oh, I could play it straight. <sighs> 
take your knife and you smear. Men smear. Smear, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Get the pinky <laughs> down. Oh. Right, hold the knife boldly in yeah. strength. <laughs> no, don't like this. The toast. <laughs> Al, you old so-and-so. How do you feel about that call today? I mean, the Dolphins. Fourth and three play on their 30-yard line with only 34 seconds to go. How do you think I feel? Betrayed? Bewildered? Call me. Perfect. Won't you come in? Senator Keeley, Mrs. Keeley, come here and give me a hug. I've never felt such tension. It's like riding a psychotic horse towards a burning stable. Oh God, it's a nightmare. Get up, everybody, and oh, Something about the father and Mrs. Cole. I can't put my finger on it's it. It's nothing. What do you mean? It's, it's nothing. It is Dad, something. It's nothing. Something very strange is going on. Welcome back to Earth Station One. Now it's time for the birdcage. And of course, Darren's here to narrate. Go for it, buddy. Hi, everybody. What's going on? Woo! We're going to a nightclub tonight. Y'all like nightclubs? Remember when we used to go to clubs? Remember that? That was fun, wasn't it? Yep, remember that, the, the before that, times that right? back BC. in the dark ages BC, BC. before covid exactly <laughs> <laughs> is the uh so does the rainbow room move the or rainbow room is everywhere is it, is it like a tardis nowhere. it's like a tardis yeah, it, goes, see, yeah. it goes where it senses the gay is strongest and it lands there for a while <laughs> it soaks up all the gay and then it comes and brings it to to the straight people of the world Y'all need a little fabulousness in your life because God knows. <sighs> I can't disagree with you there, sir. Yeah, I know. I know. It's, it's hardly a day goes by, and Mary can agree with this. You see something online, you go, ah, straight people. Uh, oh, man. <laughs> once a th- more like five times a day. Five times a day. <laughs> Usually, it's really the latest one for me has been the gender reveal parties. I'm like, oh, oh my God. I Just know. have the kid. My she God. Knows. Uh, anyway, so the bird cage. This this movie kind of came out of nowhere. It is a remake of uh, Jean Genet's play uh, La Cage à Faux, which has been done in French and it's available on Tubi in the original French. And it's most amusing, and it is pretty much uh, Bird Cage is not a shot by shot remake, but it is pretty darn close to it. Um, there's there's a lot of little nuances in it. Instead of uh, the maid being um, Latin, the maid is black in uh, Lacage. Um, but all, all the basic notes are there, right? But we're going to talk about Birdcage because it is the Americanized version. And it, it came out like, I think about 20 years after Lacage was filmed. Sounds about right. Yeah, because Lacage was 70, 70, 76, I think. Or yeah, something like there. that. Yeah, so I mean, back in 76, even in French cinema, there was still that, oh, this is a movie about gay people. You know, there, there was still that in the movie that there was right. not like complete acceptance of gay people in the movie or else you wouldn't have the president of moral order problem, right? And that is there in Lacage. That is straight out of Lacage. Yeah, I, Although I, his I, last words did change. So I, you know. I did just check. And uh, just for anybody who's like, you know, trying to get us on our facts, um, the original play <laughs> came out in 73. Uh, the French play came out in 73 and then 78, uh, came the French film. Mm-hmm. We were close. Um, and, uh, That's not bad. We were and, really we were, close. And, yeah, we were and, close. 
I, it was one of those movies that I I'd heard about, but I've never. I never, I have not seen until this weekend. I did not, I've never seen La Caja Fall and I've never seen um, The Birdcage. So this, really? Ooh. Really? Oh, wow. Yeah, so, See, so that's this was, surprising. Wow. This, this was like the first gay movie to really hit in the mainstream as a financial yeah. success. Sure. Oh, sure. very much so. I'm well, surprised I mean, you haven't seen it. I mean, I know La Cage was. Originally, like Lacage was huge. Lacage is one of the biggest selling or biggest box office of the like uh, of a foreign film in the states. Period. Mm-hmm. Like I think it's in the top ten or fifteen. I don't know. I haven't checked the. Re- but well, it's, well, it's way mean, up there, and it was nominated for like it was nominated for like three or four Academy Awards. And that's mm-hmm. when the Academy Awards weren't giving out like nominations to foreign films as a rule. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. But I guess it didn't have the, a separate category. I don't. The think version I saw was dubbed. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know if there's another version that's subtitled or not, but there is. The two B version is subtitles. I have to. Uh, I have to imagine that that um, that it loses a little bit in translation, even dubbed, just because I was like, I, this. I could tell this is like it's a farce. It's funny. I get it. There's mm-hmm. times where I laughed, but I could also tell there's some things that I'm like, I don't like think that that like is funny like. You know, like I don't get this one or I don't get that. And it could be the fact that it's in the seventies or it could also be the fact that it's a, you know, it's translation. It's French. Yeah. Yeah. It's, <laughs> this is French humor as yeah. opposed to like, you know, American humor, right. which is very, it's very different. <laughs> right. Right. So it's really different. So, but uh, yeah. So, and then I was, I was kind of surprised cause I didn't know. Uh, yeah. I'll just go real quick um, because I didn't know if the birdcage was a remake of the play or of the movie, or of the musical, because it was turned into a musical in the States, uh, mm-hmm. what, in 83, I think, right? Something so, like that, yeah, Jerry so, Herman um, and Harvey Firestein. Uncle Harvey! Right, again. so I, I didn't know what to expect, and I will tell you this, when I first saw La Caja Fall, I'm watching it, and I'm thinking, all right, um, uh, so the main characters are Ronaldo, Ronaldo and Albine, right? Yep. Um, and I thought for sure that I'm like, okay, when I watch The Birdcage, I'm pretty sure that Ron Williams is going to play Albie. Like, I'm pretty sure that, uh, like, uh, Zaza is going to be, mm-hmm. like, Robin Williams. Um, yeah. And and I, I was wrong. You were wrong. Yes. <laughs> you were completely wrong. <laughs> but, but the reason for that is because Robin Williams had just done uh, Mrs. Doubtfire. Yeah, I I read in uh, that, and then your research as well. I looked mm-hmm. into that too. Is and, and yeah, originally Robin Williams was scheduled or uh, cast as Albine, but then um, and Steve Martin was uh, Ronaldo, and they then Steve Martin dropped out, and Robin Williams mm-hmm. was like, "Look, I've I've done zany characters all my like I've just done Miss Doubtfire. I, like, I I'd just rather did do something. Drag. That, I don't want to do drag <laughs> exactly. again. Let's I just, like I just do something a little bit more like." Butch, shall we say? Well, is that I, fair? I, uh, well, yeah, I think Armand's butcher than Albert for sure. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm not sure "butch" is the word. I uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I, on the scale of masculinity, they're both more on the Sean Hayes side <laughs> of masculinity, <laughs> which is not—it's not a negative. It's just yeah, more more Jack than Will. If you wanted to use Will and Grace as your barometer uh, of that, but I. I Mm. I, I think this was actually a better acting challenge for Robin Williams because he had done zany characters, but he had also done serious characters at this point. And this was going to allow him to do some humor without 
going so far out of the box like he normally does. It was more of a controlled performance than his other stuff is. Well, he was basically in tongue in cheek right here. He was the straight to Albert. Yeah. Basically. Mm-hmm. And because Albert was, <laughs> you know. And, and that, is, that is straight out of Lacage. Oh, of course. Of course. Yeah. Of course. Nathan lifted all those oops and, and ahs and all that vocal <laughs> gymnastics straight from Lacage Afo. I was surprised at how if anything closely, can be lifted straight from that movie. <laughs> I, I was I was surprised at how closely the birdcage does adapt uh the film and I assume the play of the original like you know not not it doesn't it it, it puts it in America but man a lot of the scenes it's almost like you say it's not shot for shot but damn it's close. I mean when it starts uh with the shot going through the doors of the nightclub yeah. And Birdcage starts the same way. I'm like, oh, okay, Mike Nichols. <laughs> well, well, Mike doubles down. He's like, I'm going to start from the ocean. And we're yeah. going to fly in. <laughs> this is going to be an American shot, not a, not a French shot. You know? yeah. But I'm like, but that's, mm, you picked that up. Very, very wonderful of you, sir. Very wonderful mm-hmm. of you. <laughs> but yeah, we have, we have Robin. Then we have Nathan Lane. His second role as a gay parent, uh, for those of you who don't know, Nathan Lane played Timon in The Lion King, um, which I consider <laughs> the first example of Disney having a same-sex couple on screen, Timon and Pumbaa. Um, no one else may think that, but I certainly do. They raised a child in the wilderness by themselves, okay? Yeah. Um, Gene Hackman, as we, we know him as Lex Luthor, <laughs> in, in our world, in the geek world, is Senator Keeley, the uh, co-founder of the uh, League of Moral Order. Uh, and Diane Wiest from um, all Lost kinds Boys. of stuff. The Lost Boys and Hannah and her sisters and Parenthood as Louise Keeley, the uh, suffering wife of the uh, senator. Uh, Dan Futterman as Val Goldman, the son of Robin and uh, Catherine. Uh, Callista Flockhart as the uh, the very very young fiance, and I want to get into that because that that gets a little tricky. Uh, Hank Azaria as Agador Spartacus. <laughs> I love that name. That was just wow. so awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Christine Baranski as Catherine, who uh, I think this is the first time I've ever seen Christine Baranski anything, and she was like, oh. I love her to death. She's hilarious. And, of course, other people filled in the cast as as we go, but those are the main players. Uh, So uh, Armand owns the birdcage. He is a nightclub proprietor. And Nathan Lane performs at Starina, one of the uh, leading drag queens. And, of course, there's a whole gaggle of drag queens who work there. And all kinds of things uh, go on. And Val comes back home, wants to meet with Dad alone. And we see that there's some insecurity, to say the least, with some her, oh there some, was a ton some insecurity uh <laughs> just a little just um, a little a, bit just a, just a little bit because uh, slightly albert, just slightly albert thinks armand is seeing another man because albert has has dropped weight and he didn't even notice it didn't even say anything and blah 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 um and armand is probably just in his own world doing his own thing and not even thinking about other men but here's here's albert doing this this bit uh and take, being very hooked on Prin. On Pirin tablets. Pirin, Pirin, Pirin tablets. I loved it. Is that aspirin the A and the S scraped off? That's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, so as Starina is performing, Val comes in, and we are set up as the audience to believe that Val is the guy that Armand is sleeping with while Starina is performing. Val is actually 
uh, Armand's son. Oh my God, gay men have sons. Who knew? Who knew that <laughs> wanted, could happen? He wanted to try it once, you know? Yeah, you know. yeah he tried it. Yeah. And he hit the jackpot. Apparently his guys are swimmers. Good for him. Um, so uh, Val is coming back from college and he's announcing that he is engaged. Uh, Armand tries to kick him out and say, no, no, you're too young. Forget this. Go away. And uh, Val's like, all right, fine. I'll, I'll leave. Bye, Dad. And of course, that was a bluff. And uh, so, yay, we're going to have a wedding at some point. Uh, meanwhile, in conservative land, <laughs> Hmm. Senator Keeley and uh, Mrs. Keeley are there getting uh, informed by Barbie or Barbara, their daughter, that they've been sexually active with each other for over a year. And they've both been tested for HIV, <laughs> which causes Louise Keeley to go. Ah! <laughs> uh, this is just you have to remember the time this movie came out. It was the early 90s. Things were still very crazy. We still had, you know. All these crazy uh, GOP senators screaming anti-gay this, anti-gay that all the time. We still have so, that now. We have that now. Yeah, yeah I was going to say, wait, no, that hasn't changed. <laughs> that hasn't changed much. But back then, it was more of a bigger issue, I think, than when the Supreme Court gave, you know, did the Lawrence v. Texas ruling and then um, the gay marriage ruling. I think this became less of a political issue right now. Give it time, people. Give it time. Yeah, I don't think I agree with that. It's just that That's it's, fine. Switched, it's switched to trans people. Yes, it has switched They've to trans They've just found people. another scapegoat. Agreed. Agreed. And the LGBT, yeah, the T is not silent. We're all together in that. Right. Uh, just, just to reiterate. Um, this this becomes kind of the dichotomy of, of these guys are the bad guys and, and the gay families are the good guys, um, which I kind of don't agree with totally i kind of think val's kind of a bad guy in this movie val is an ass he is a total ass so i mean he's young he's young he's immature and he does start start to grow up a little bit through it val's lucky not to be in jail well there's that because about that because (laughs) because because barbie admits that they've been having sex for more more than a year and it's like you're 19, so that no, makes she's it step- 18. No, she's 18. She's 18. <laughs> so that's and that's he's like 20. Yeah. that's illegal. And and he's, uh, forget but, that. But he's 20 luckily, and drinking. But luckily, the Keelys <laughs> don't want a scandal, so no, therefore, no, no jail time. No jail time for Val. Mm-hmm. They are. They're going to let that go. It was like, oh my god! But I realized it's because it was a French play. And the age of consent is really much lower in France. Yeah, they should have. They should have have adjusted that. They should have adjusted that for American audiences. They really should have. Like, wait, wait. Yeah, I could. Was he picking her up after six? Period. What's going on? (laughs) 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 Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, look. I mean, but then again, you know, it's America. I mean, Mm -hmm. we're all. You know, we all know that eighteen. Yeah. All right. What's the line from Steel uh, Magnolias? Like like all of us wait till it's it's not unheard of. Let's put it that way. That's why I think a lot of a lot of us didn't even bat an eye. We're just like, oh, okay, yeah, Mm -hmm. okay. The line from Steel Magnolias: "If you can achieve puberty, you can achieve a past." There you go. It's right there. (laughs) So, and we'll get to Steel Magnolias at some point down the road um, because it is a classic. So we find out that uh, the senator's um, a co-founder of the. League of Moral Order, or whatever it's called. You know, the moral majority is what it's the, the moral majority. Is. Yeah. yeah. If that's what yeah. the real world stand in is. And apparently his co-founder has been found deceased in the bed of an underaged African-American prostitute. 
well, that doesn't look good. Now does it, kids? <laughs> so there's a political scandal going on because, of course, he's now going to be the leader of this order. And at some point they were like, well, maybe this would be the new ticket for the new presidential election. That was the impression I got is these two guys were going to take this and they're going to run for the presidency and blah, blah, blah. And they're talking about, well, maybe we should get with Bob Dole. Well, he's too liberal. I'm like, what? Excuse me. <laughs> Bob Dole's yeah, too liberal. Okay. <laughs> then, then they mentioned the Pope. No, no, too liberal. I'm like, what? <laughs> the Pope? So it's it's that kind of a thing. Obviously, it's a takeoff on all the moral majority crap that, that was going on after Reagan came to power. Bob Dole and gets a lot of name drops in this. He does. He, he gets does. a lot. Of, I was surprised by. I didn't expect that. Yeah, you're like Bob Dole. What? What? Even at the even at the well, he was running for president. I think at the time, or very close to announcing that he was going to run for president at the time. So it kind of made sense because this was during the Clinton administration when this right because this came out in '96, and I think in '96 didn't he run against Clinton? Yeah, he did, and lost. Yeah, lost horribly. Yep. Yes, he just didn't have the charisma to be president, I guess, and Billy Bob did. So there you go. And uh, so uh, the mom gets the idea that we're going to have this wedding because first the parents were completely against it. She's too young. And I kind of agree with them. She's way too young to get married. But uh, the parents are like, okay, we'll have this wedding and it will uh, change the reputation that you have because you were such good friends with this guy who did this really horrible thing and then died from it. Um, Not judging sex work. I'm just saying the hypocrite stance of it if you're going to be against immoral things you probably shouldn't be caught doing immoral things just a, just a thought there details details uh, i know i know so well, they I, you know we are talking about like catholics we well we're also talking about republicans <laughs> so there's that so they drive from I, I i think it's ohio is where he's from they mention ohio's foliage later in that really yeah. boring speech that gene hackman did wonders with um they they drive down to South Beach, Florida, being trailed by the National Enquirer every step of the way. Well, Meanwhile, the, uh, <laughs> the, the, it was funny as hell with the um, the limo driver basically, mm-hmm. you know, selling all their information out mm-hmm. from under them. Mm-hmm. Totally, I can't imagine he's making good money. No, you know, he's he's got a well. He, they've been through supplement. Six of them. Right? right? Yeah, they've been through six of them. Yeah, that's what I would have done if I were him. Mm-hmm. Totally. <laughs> I'm here until they fire me. So, hey, here's a hundred bucks. Thank you. Have a nice day. I doubt these get paid a lot. Yeah. Meanwhile, uh, Val gets word that the, the the other family is coming down to South Beach to meet them. And so Val has to break it to Armand that uh, he's marrying into <laughs> the religious right, basically. And this, this is where really things start to take a turn because, and I, I'm no longer on Val's side in this movie because he asks his dad to cover up his gayness. And send Albert away from the house. Yeah, that turned me off also. Oh, totally. Totally. He he was being a total prick about everything. Total dick. Total dick. And he was lying about it, too. Oh, yeah. And it was just one lie after another, after Mm -hmm. another, after another. And it was bound to come collapsing on top of them. Oh, totally. Well, that's that's the fun part of a a sex farce. Eventually, it all comes into the light at some point or another. But it's it's even worse what he does to Albert. Oh, it's totally awful. He he asks his father, he asks Armand to, to... to pretend to be something he's not, but he asked mm-hmm. Albert to not to exist, mm-hmm. which is what, you know, gay, gay people fight against 
their their whole lives. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're supposed to ask for permission to exist. And that, that's not how it works. Yeah. You know, we exist. We're here. That, that's the end of that conversation. Um, and it is, it's a very difficult position that Val's put Armand in because he's got to choose between his child and his longtime partner that they've been together for at least 20 years or so. This is not like, Oh, this guy was just here for a month or two. This is someone who's been around for a while and been a part Ooh, of Val's I mean, life. Al- Albert is Val's parent. Also. Totally. Albert is oh, the mom. Very much so. Yeah. Very yeah. much so. And that was a great scene. You know, this is my mother, you know, mm-hmm. at the end, because it's like, a redemption it's, moment. Oh, thank God. He has a conscience. But Yay. I think, I think, you know, even at the beginning, we're led to believe because Val is meeting with Albert by himself to mm-hmm. break the news that he's getting married. Um, not, not his parents together. Right. Mm-hmm. So it seems like Val's already got like something against uh, Albert. Well, I, I think it's just he didn't want to face Albert that night, you know? Yeah, I'm not sure it said he has something against Albert. He it's just knew how the reaction that, was going to go. <laughs> yeah, like, he knew how the reaction was going to go, and he thought it would be easier for Armand to pass. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's yep. a well, lot I don't, of subtext I, in this I, movie. I don't, I don't know if at that point, though, he's – they don't – he's not – he's not – Saying, I don't think at that point they're the dinner's arranged or anything that they're going to do that yet. No, no, but he didn't want to face. I mean, he also knew that Albert was going to be on stage. I mean, right? He, yeah, he, he lived there. He knew. Right. The reason that they're meeting a secret is mm-hmm. not because he's having an affair, but because no. because Val wants to have some private time with him so he can tell. He can break it. He can do the dirty now, work for Val. Yeah. yeah. Now, granted, I mean, his is you know, it's his biological father. Um, yeah. So there's that bond there, which I guess you could say is a little bit stronger anyway. But um, um, but it just seemed weird to me that like like this whole thing is a farce, and I get that. It's mm-hmm. and it's and so everything is contrived, and so I, I tend not to think too deeply about it because mm-hmm. if I do, and then it breaks <laughs> apart, it falls apart because that's yeah. a, a farce doesn't work that way. Like I love Lucy, Three's Company, like those plots don't work very fun. They're not very fun. If you think about them too closely, right? That's that's very true. Yeah. So so, and I must admit, on the in the original French version, I kind of just went with it. But on the Birdcage, like then on that viewing, I was like, I took it a little bit more seriously, and I think it was because it was presented a little bit more seriously. Mm-hmm. Well, I I agree. I think you know Albert's insecurities are are played for laughs, but the fact is. Albert has every right to feel insecure. Absolutely. I mean, he, he lives oh. in a world that is quite literally life-threatening to those who dare, you know, to step outside their rigid gender roles. Mm-hmm. And, and he knows his carefully constructed, you know, he's carefully constructed this little bubble of safety where he's, you know, the star of a drag show and he's, he's surrounded by his, by his, his lover and his family. These are the people he trusts most in the world and mm-hmm. they utterly betray him. Yeah. They kick him out. Yeah. I mean, that's even beyond that. It's that he, he, in his mind, he thinks the worst thing that could happen is that Armand will betray him. But in the end, I mean, he doesn't even consider the possibility that, that the perpetrator could be his child. Mm -hmm. And that, that is one. I mean, there is no larger betrayal than that. 
No, you're completely right. And at turn after turn after turn, you know, the, he kept on saying, oh, you're embarrassed by me. You know, I, mm-hmm. you're ashamed of me. And The freak. The freak. Yeah, exactly. Know. And it was heartbreaking. It really, yeah. really was heartbreaking. He did everything he could to suppress who he was, and it still was not It wasn't enough. enough. And it was I, never going to be enough. Even when, he, even when he showed up in the suit mm-hmm. and, you know, that he was going to be the uncle. Mm-hmm. And it's like it wasn't enough. No. And He'll still be his gay uncle, Albert. Albert, yeah. You know? I think um, I think, from what I understand, and I, like I said, I haven't watched the musical or even the original play, mm-hmm. but it sounds like the musical really hits that home when, at the end of the first act... Mm-hmm. Um, uh, well, the I, I Am What I'm, I Am song. The I Am What I Am song. And I was like, that seems like, and it's really, I think it's like one of the most powerful songs of the musical. And I, I didn't feel like, at least in the movie, that it was powerfully put in, in, in the movie. Well, I mean, yeah. it's hard It's hard to beat a Jerry Herman ballad, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, well, for, for I power. will say, yeah, the end of the first <laughs> act in The Birdcage, I don't think hits the same no. powerful note as it does in Lacage. Mm-hmm. Well, they were trying to lighten it up. You know, they, they sure. were trying to show the impact without making people, without p- taking people out of the comedy. And I, th- I think if you're going to do something that is LGBT concentrated and sell it to a mass media audience, you've got to sell the comedy part because, because it will not be a successful film unless it is like Philadelphia, which got Academy Awards out the butt and then everyone went to go see it. Right. And there are well, yeah, because it's okay and, to kill the gay people. Well, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, oh. a, it's a little different. But, but people are like, "Oh, do I go see Star Trek or do I go see this?" And that's not that's not a boon on Star Trek. It's just when you want to do some escapism, do you want to go see the AIDS movie or do you want to go see Star Trek? You're going to opt for Star Trek. But I you know, will say, as, they do as a, a straight audience, is what I'm yeah, saying. They do a really good job of of putting in a whole lot of subtext. Oh, they do. I oh mean, my there's God. A, there is a big message here and it is definitely there mm-hmm. no matter yeah. how much the comedy overlays it. And I give, I give mm-hmm. them kudos for that. And I give, I give Robin Williams a lot of credit too, because this is a guy who could do anything. This is at the peak of his career. He could do whatever mm-hmm. he wants. And he just comes off a movie where he's, you know, cross-dressing and then he goes right into playing, uh, you know, a gay character uh, which is not, which is a risk at this time, you know. Um, and I think, you know, giving, having him do that, choose these projects and, and elevating them to be, uh, you know, box office hits, um, you know, he didn't have to do that. Well, he also and, had and, a huge amount of box office clout then. Exactly. You know, like, like he could do this. And, you know, if he says, I'm doing this, they're like, cool, you know, and they may see it as like, oh, it's probably just going to be wacky again. People love to see that, but I think Robin doesn't. Man, when I was watching this, I just realized how freaking good. Like I miss Robin Williams. Okay, yeah. like it's just yeah, like his it, talent was incredible. It's just like I mean, sure, his improv stuff, his like Fosse, Fosse, Fosse is like it's just a, mm-hmm. it's so funny. But then he hits these moments in this movie he, where he it, hits the drama moments really does. excellently. He and really it does. Shows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He is genuinely torn. I mean, it really shows on his face. Yes. How how hard this is for how him. Do, how do you choose between your child and your spouse? How do you right. do that? Exactly. It is an impossible conversation to have. It's really difficult. The chemistry between Nathan Lane and Robin Williams was amazing. 
it worked really, really well. You felt like they were a married couple. Totally. Yeah. And Even though, it, you know, this is, this is years before, you know, gay <laughs> marriage became the buzzword that it is, but they actually presented a gay married couple for all intents and purposes on the screen. Yeah. Oh, and everyone loves so. them. <laughs> and it's funny because, you know, you see it the first time. And, you know, when I saw it at the movie theater, people were all laughing and just, mm-hmm. you know, slapping their legs and, you know, oh, this is great. This is funny. And then when you watch it later, you realize how much emotion there is behind it. Mm-hmm. And it, it was amazing. And I would, I would, I would say back then, now that was 93, right? 96. 96. I, I would still say that the majority of people in the audiences that were in, like, Georgia at the time, they still went to the ballot box and voted against gay marriage, even though they were laughing hysterically at the movie. Well, oh, I I'm mean, sure. I think one of the, my favorite moments of Nathan Lane in this, because uh, he also brings some pretty poignant moments. He doesn't seem to have as many, but he does when he has that speech where he talks about, like, you know, how, um, you know, how people are laughing at him. Yeah, he's aware. He's aware of it. He is aware of this. And I think it's, it's, it's almost like a, you know, what do the kids say today? It's almost like a meta moment, right? Like Mm -hmm. of like, he's aware of this in this movie too. He's, he's aware of how flamboyant and feminine he is, but this is who he is and he cannot change it. As proven in the movie, <laughs> yeah, yeah, he, he cannot. He's he, always he going to put that finger to up. change it, and it's it's going to happen, right? So, what choice does he have? And there are people in this world who um, came out, and because they didn't have a choice, because everyone knew, because everybody was, knew. Yeah, there's just no way to hide it. Yeah, it was just so ingrained in them as a person. This is who you're going to be, and that's just it, mm-hmm. and. This is the this is the thing that Nathan's or Albert's walking down the street and people you you can catch the background actors are kind of looking at him. You know, it's like, but they're the people who live there, so they should know Albert. You know, so no guy goes to South Beach and wears a thong who doesn't live there. Okay, (laughs) (laughs) And there were there were more male thongs in this movie than I've seen in a long time. The thong budget must have been huge. (laughs) The thong budget was huge. That's what was in the small, very small. (laughs) (laughs) You know, if you see this movie on regular uh, TV, they actually do a digital edit on the thongs and make them swimsuits. Wow. Really? Yeah, because you can't show butt on <laughs> network TV. Yeah, it's the American way. You can yep. cut somebody's head off and have blood squirting everywhere, but God forbid you should show a butt cheek. Yep, yeah. or, or a bulge. God forbid. Right. We, have, we have genitalia to speak of, you know. No, exactly. And that's the scary part about it is just it was natural seeing all of it. it Mm-hmm. didn't make anyone you know it shouldn't make anyone uncomfortable it's natural no, and but welcome to america yeah on this, oh i know and even the scene when they were at the restaurant and you know they were trying to set, show how straight people act and everything mm-hmm. and the john wayne scene the and, john wayne walk go back yeah. Yeah, that was, a, that, was a, that was a great line, actually. <laughs> he walks yeah. exactly like that. He's like, what, what, <laughs> did I do it wrong? No, oh, no. I just no. never realized. <laughs> John Wayne walked like that. Yeah. That's intriguing. I don't, and, I, and that's a change. I don't think that's in the original material. But um, that scene is really funny in the original. But it's, it, it, yeah, that scene is funnier in that. So, 
Well, they they updated it for the American audience. Yeah. The old lady yeah. watching it and everything the whole time. It's just like, what just the like, hell are these schmucks what? doing? Whatever. <laughs> How but, am I? Mm. And it was funny because the guy who, you know, they bumped into and, you know, the really tall big guy and everything mm-hmm. was one of the um, cross-dressers in, in the final scene. Uh-huh. The one who said that Bob Dole was uh, Bob really Bob Dole cute. is gorgeous. Yeah. That's, it was the same actor. Uh-huh. And it was funny as heck. I had to point that out when we were watching to Judy. Mm-hmm. And she was like, oh, my God, you're right. And yep. Like, <laughs> a, little, a, little, a little switcheroo there for you. You didn't recognize mm-hmm. him. Why would you recognize them coming out of the club at the end of the, right. the movie? Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, so Val melts down about Albert staying because – and, of course, they, they redecorate the, the apartment, which – it looks very much like a monastery. Um, it's very frightening. So uh, Armand and Albert go to meet uh, Val's real mother, played by Christine Baranski. And just like Baranski, she tries to seduce <laughs> Armand again, 20 years later. Let's do, let's do this again. Albert walks in and freaks out, obviously, as you would if you saw your spouse having, you know, playing I mean, or whatever with having their happens. chest hair played with yes exactly and he he leaves and heads back home and so armand heads back home on the bus uh albert doesn't drive so he's driving with the parking brake on that yeah, must 20, have been fun. 20 miles an hour <laughs> yes that must have been fun for everybody on the highway that day um <laughs> albert gets there and says i'm leaving i'm i'm taking my toothbrush i'm going to uh the cemetery big big dramatic queen speech blah 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 and it's it's heartbreaking at that point because it, he knows he's not welcome there, even though he's built his life there for twenty years, and that's absolutely that, that, that's his home. Yeah, that's that's where it is. But he's got that. That was the issue is he has he's got nothing in his name that says he belongs there. Right? Mm-hmm. He doesn't want to be somewhere where he can be kicked out on a whim. Right. And that's a legitimate concern. I think, right. He has everybody. a right to be insecure about that. Totally. Totally. <laughs> Uh, and so, I believe in the uh, in in and I could just be because it's always you know it's it's sort of it, it's implied in, in in the original French movie that that uh, they do have sex um, that uh, sorry that um, uh, well I hope uh, they have sex They're that uh, no 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 <laughs> that um, that Armand or Armin like has sex with his ex or the the mother. oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's what really, um, well, it's, it's also the French sensibility of it. Ronaldo, all, yeah. Ronaldo. Sorry. Right? So Ronaldo. Yeah. But that, I mean, that just goes to, yeah, it's the French, it's the seventies. It's like, it's like, yeah, that's it. Sex is a just whatever, like having a meal or something. It's not really, I mean, there's, mm-hmm. it, it's casual. So, but, but it really adds a different tone to when they meet on the, on the park bench, mm-hmm. because, you know, like. You know, Ronaldo comes and he's like mad. Uh, he's like, "What am I going to do with you?" And I'm like, um, "You're the one who like should be apologizing." Like, yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> like that was a so, total French, you know, yeah. thing. I think. Yeah. It, yeah. This version, that would not have played in. It would. No, yeah, exactly. That would not have played not, in America. Right. No. I was thinking that too. I'm like, he's not going to do that, is he? In this, because I'm like, that's going to. Yeah, because that then the pendulum's going to really swing against him, mm-hmm. and and they didn't. Of course, they couldn't do that here. No. No. So we're still a little bit stodgy when it comes to that sort of thing. Oh, yeah. Even, we're very even heterosexual sex, we're stodgy about. Yep. That's true. Unless you're polyamorous. And if you are, congratulations. Yeah. 
do it with consent. <laughs> but, but I also got the feeling that in, like in this version too, like maybe, well, I don't know. It didn't seem like it was an accident uh, that uh, Val was born in the American version. Like almost like, um, like that they were, you know, because it, it seemed like they were a couple um, prior um that uh uh that Armand and Albert were a couple mm-hmm. when Val was born. I think so, it was very close in time. Um so it seems to me like they they opted to take him as a as their child well, rather than having right. like then Val's mother like then she could just be like, No, I d I don't want it. Well Ar- Armand clearly said you know, they must have had a conversation afterwards when she realized she was pregnant. And he's like, I will, I will raise the son or the child. Yeah, he basically know? pays her off. Pays her off for it. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. how she started her business. You know, right? Oh, gotcha, exactly. gotcha. Yeah. And then when Baranski's like, well, I'm not very maternal, as she pops the champagne bottle between, <laughs> yes. her, legs. between her legs, and <laughs> you know, the like, foam comes out yeah, of it. That, it's that like, was yeah. a little, just, just a teeny bit obvious. That was, yeah, that, that, was, was, that was a little. I'm not very maternal. Pop, pop. <laughs> it's like, damn. Clearly. Yeah. And, yeah. and she pursued him. She did. She did all of that stuff. He didn't look for that. And he was like, "Well, why not try it and see what you know, see what happens?" And he did it twice. Apparently, that's a that's a very that different it. thing. That's a very <laughs> different outlook too. You don't in the media. You don't usually see women that are not maternal. Well, you don't see women pursuing men unless it's as part of a joke, right? I think the Golden Girls is the is the first time you saw it, and it was serious. You know, and I'm not, not talking about Blanche. I'm talking about the other ladies on the show who are also pursuing men as dates and things like that usually that's played for ha 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 look at this old lady you know because let's be honest on sitcoms the the husband is like 40 and the wife is like 24 (laughs) (laughs) that's how the casting works (laughs) and the guy is the chubby comic and the woman is the hot wife you know it's like really guys really you're gonna do this again 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 yeah that's the formula that's what they do you know, so well, what's, what's frustrating. Fantasy. Yeah, exactly. It's the yeah, because, uh, yeah, because usually it's the woman in those marriages, mm-hmm. uh, you know, whether it's Peg, with the Peg Bundy or Mrs. Roper or whatever, they're the ones who want to have sex. And the guys are like, no, I'm too and it, it's, pay, it's played for less. Mrs. Roper, you know, the sex hungry woman who could never get her husband to have yep. sex with her. And then Peg Bundy, who Katie Seagal, hot as all get out. But it's because. Al's married to her. That's why he doesn't want to have sex with her. It's like, mm, no, thank you. You know, that, now that I think about it too, we mentioned Three's Company a couple times here. And is it, mm-hmm. it was Three's Company was based, was that a based on a French show as well or an English show? Probably. It was based, I've it not was done based the on, research, I thought it was an, Eng- I think it was an English show. Yeah. It was Could based be. on a European show. I know that. So, yes. Anyway, go ahead. But get, getting back to the moment on the, on the bench there, I, I, I want to like, hammer home the fact that the papers that Armand brings, which basically says you own half of everything I own mm-hmm. to, to Albert. This is, this was back then such an important thing for gay people to see on the screen because I was friends with a gay couple. They had been together for 15 years or so. And one of the husbands died of a massive heart attack. Suddenly no warning, just bam, gone because they were not married. And because there was nothing in paper anywhere, uh, the family swooped in, kicked the man out of the house he'd been living in for 15 years because he had no rights. He was not family. And then tried to charge him back rent yeah. for the 15 years he had lived there. 
Mm-hmm. He I've heard not, of stuff like that. He, uh, he was not part of the funeral procession or uh, proceedings. He was not allowed to come to the funeral. Yeah. The family basically barred him. They gave him like a couple of hours to get his personal belongings out of the house. I've heard and stories that, of them, of people just throwing everything out. Yeah. That, that happens too. This is what happens when you don't have the legal protection in a time when you didn't have gay marriage to go to as a thing. And it's okay that if you're not married and you have a longtime partner, that's great. But do yourself a favor and get something in writing. If, if that is the case, if you're not ready to get married, but you live together and have for several years, get it in writing because Even for something as simple as just visiting them in the hospital. Exactly. Exactly. It was called the Palamone. 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 Exactly. Yep. This, you know, I've, even straight people who lived together for all these years, some of them, you know, needed it and such for the same thing. And, you know, mm-hmm. Palamone was still very new at that time. Yep. So, so, you know, our, Albert signs the papers and he comes back and that's when Albert puts on the suit to become uncle Albert. Right. But he's wearing the hot pink socks <laughs> and you can right. tell by looking at Nathan Lane, he is so uncomfortable in that suit. This is not <laughs> who he is. This is, and it's played for laughs because you've seen him in all these outrageous outfits, the entire movie. And here he is in a suit. And even Robin Williams, when he put on a suit, he's like, I look my grandfather in the suit. He killed himself at 30. You know, it's like, oh, mm, maybe there's a history. Yeah, a little, little, you know, makes you wonder. Makes you wonder, was granddad gay? And he had a couple kids and said, I can't do this, bam, which unfortunately has happened in the past to people. Mm -hmm. Uh, But but Albert being as, looking as straight as possible for him, trying to pass with all of his powers is unable to do it. And they have a huge blow up. So Albert goes back to his room and locks the door. <laughs> Meanwhile, um, uh, Christine Baranski, the mom, calls and says, I was told not to come because, of course, the big blow up about, you know, Armand, you know, letting her play with his chest hair. And Val <laughs> picks up the phone and says, no, please come. Because without a mom, this is going to look very weird. Uh, it just goes downhill from here, folks, because Spartacus, Agador Spartacus has to put on clothes. He's usually not wearing a lot. If you see the pool put on scene. Shoes. Yeah, shoes is the big thing, because apparently they make him fall down. Don't know yes. why. Don't know why, but that was, was an interesting choice. Hank Azario was just amazing in that role, mm-hmm. too. I, you know, he, I, was, I, he was a little worried that he was going to be offensive to people, and I, I thought he actually played it very well. I, mm-hmm. I thought he was weakest link of the movie. Actually, sorry. Really? Yeah, yeah. I just, um, I thought he just was trying too hard. Um, mm, I can see I, that. I, I just, uh, yeah. I, I, it wasn't bad. It wasn't horrible. But there were times where I was like, I said, Hank, you're just. It's. I could tell you're just trying a little too hard. Too stereotypical. Well, not so much stereotypical. It just didn't feel like it was natural. It didn't mm. feel like it was... I didn't really believe him as the character so much as I did, like, oh, you know, it's Hank Azaria. Like, mm. just him and gotcha. So, um That's kind of how I feel about Tom Cruise in anything, honestly. Like, oh, it's Tom Cruise. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I could understand. In a Hank Azaria, Tom Cruise, they're, they're very, you could switch them out, right? Yeah, it, it's, it's difficult when, when you're an actor <laughs> and you do so much and your face is everywhere for you to really, like... That's when you know an actor is an actor, <laughs> you know? And well, I and usually I don't have that doesn't problem. doesn't do interviews because I don't have the that same problem with character. Hank, so. 
Well, it's interesting because at that point, the only thing I had seen Hank Azaria in previous before that was either Herman's head or his voice in The Simpsons. Mm-hmm. I knew him from. Right. He wasn't. He hadn't done all the different movies and TV shows that he did later. <laughs> that, that's the thing for you guys, because you guys saw this pretty close when when it came out. So you were discovering all these people. Where I'm looking mm-hmm. back, going, "Hey, look, this must be one of like I'm looking at Calista Flockhart. I'm like, oh, this is one of her earliest roles. She must. Yep. Have, she's a teenager here. No, she's thirty. I'm like, no, she's wow. thirty here. Yeah. She's thirty. Eighteen. But she looked like a little kid. She, she did. did. It's like I was Judy and I were talking about this. Oh, this is pre Ally McBeal. This is pre yeah. her being with Harrison Ford. Mm-hmm. You know the whole thing, and it was just like, and you know, and she's such a good character actress. She looked literally like she she just graduated high school. Mm-hmm. She she looks amazing for thirty. She years. looked like a sullen teenager, yeah, yeah. which is exactly <laughs> what she was supposed to be. Exactly. Pretty much. Yeah. No, she was great. I mean, she didn't have a lot of great moments or whatever, but she, you know, I was glad. Oh, no, all the women had... here get pushed into the background. Yeah, I was glad for maybe Christine Baranski, but I think that was well, more her. That's Baranski. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's Baranski. what I'm saying. I, I was glad to see that uh, Flockhart's uh, uh, girl had some agency at the end when she kind of like was like, no, I'm going to take you to fix your hair. Like she like made the move and. That's when I, I could tell mm-hmm. she has decided to stay and, and, yeah. and be there with them. And I was like, well, that's cool. Because otherwise I hadn't seen that she had a backbone at all. Because she's yeah. the one who actually also got him in this predicament. I mean, yeah. both of them are horrible for doing Oh, this. yeah. Well, they're teenagers. They're going, to, they're going to lie. I mean, that's. Yeah, that's just it. I mean, <laughs> they don't want to tell their parents the whole truth because it's so much better when you tell them when it's absolutely horrible. <laughs> I mean, the whole, the whole foundation of this marriage. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I give it five years, maybe. Maybe, maybe. Yeah. So and then um, Barbie's going to kick him out. <laughs> yeah, probably. Probably. Um, probably. Well, I do know that there was like two other sequels to the original movie made. I don't know. I was like, well, I guess they didn't like, you know, pick that up and, and do more of these, uh, for this one. No. Um, I will say, cause I know we're sort of starting to run out low on time. So I just wanted mm-hmm. to say though, before this, um, there are movies, especially like done in the forties and stuff like that, where it seems like the entire point of the movie is to try to get like the big name in drag. Like mm-hmm. I was, a male war bride is a big example where like you like spend the whole movie waiting, waiting for, for that moment for, right? for Cary Grant to get in drag. Mm-hmm. And he does like in the last like five minutes or whatever. And it's like, wow, that whole movie's just based on that. Mm-hmm. Well, in this, I think it's just the cherry on top. Like as, as great Gene as Hackman the movie in is, drag? <laughs> Gene Hackman is in drag is just a treat. Like he, and the way he, like he's totally selling it that he's or, like, he hates mm-hmm. it, but he almost doesn't hate it. Like he just like he totally is selling it, and I just oh, no. It was, it's it actually a, really it was, it's really it obvious that guy is a closeted gay person. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Everyone's the, like oh, the way he responds. Yeah. The way he responds to um, Albert when Albert's in in drag as the mother, mm-hmm. and and his reaction to finding out. And like like what what like he has I don't to understand. I don't understand. That's all you could do. What's going on? Like that was that was a, that was a great moment in the movie. I hope this doesn't affect your vote. <laughs> he totally totally sells that though because he just, just can't. 
he can't process it. His his computer mind just can't like mm-hmm. just download the information. He can't. He's got <laughs> it all. And he just can't do it. And it's yeah. so fun to watch. Well, I mean, I, I, to wrap it up, the end of this movie, uh, Christine Baranski shows up after uh, Albert has been Mother Goldman or Coleman or Coleman, Coleman. for a while. Um, and then the senator asks, how many mothers does Val have? And then Val reveals Albert as his real mother and that Catherine is the woman who gave birth to him. And that's when they had the whole I don't understand conversation when uh, Mrs. Keeley's trying to explain, these are two men. <laughs> Dumbass. And this is the first time Senator Keeley's probably been in the room with gay people and knew about it. So mm-hmm. let's think exactly. about that for a minute. Um, but Bird, and of course, it all ends well because uh, the National Enquirer has shown up and they, they want to uh, get the Keeleys out of there and on photos. And so the uh, the family disguises them as drag queens and gets them out the front door. Yay. Everybody's fine. They get married. Yippee. Um, but I- it must, it must come out. Like, even though they dodged a bullet at that night for the, the tabloids and everything, it nah, must be it made, on video. It's it must a- be made public because the wedding like is just like, you know, half and well, half. That's, so. that's true, but they didn't get any photographic evidence. And now they can say they were just meeting them for, you know, Oh, I'm just, sure there was there was photos and video. I, I'm sure there was something. So that one photographer at the end, he was very observant. He's like, hmm, maybe, maybe, nah. Uh, Birdcage made 185 million dollars at the box office. It is the number five, according to the Gay Times, most popular gay movie uh, behind most recently uh, Bohemian Rhapsody, um, The Imitation Game, Philadelphia, and Rocket Man. Now, a lot of that may be because those tickets are much pricier <laughs> for yeah, Rocket Man and uh, uh, Bohemian Rhapsody, um, which which just goes to show you it, it definitely had the staying power. Brokeback Mountain is number six, by the way. And it was it was Academy Award nominated. So just because you get an Academy Award doesn't mean you're going to beat Birdcage um, for for the money there. I find I find this movie is fun. It's a good movie to introduce folks to gay people <laughs> because it's really it's kind of a nice little these these are non-threatening gays, right? And and they veer on stereotypical, but then you do actually see moments of real humanity in them. So I I give that movie credit for that. While it's a lighthearted comedy and no one's answering the great mysteries of life here, it, it's it's not so deep as for people to be like, "Oh my god, a gay movie." Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's it's not one of those, and so that's why I think Birdcage just withstood the test of time. And it was on Broadway, I think, recently as a revival before COVID happened. I'd be curious to see the musical. Mm-hmm. Harvey was playing Zaza. Yeah, uh, cool. And, and he helped write the book, and it was the first time he had ever played Zaza. So wow, yeah, that would have been amazing to see. And there's oh, yeah, some YouTube. That. There's some YouTube clips out there, but uh, yeah. That's the birdcage. So go home and sing We Are Family to yourself. Oh, we will. That's a fun ditty. Or the two uh, as of unreleased uh, Sondheim songs that are in this, which are yeah. which is pretty awesome that this has got some Sondheim attached to it. I mm-hmm. thought that was cool, too. I could have um, danced. I, I, I really, you know, even though I you know, this is my first time viewing it, I I really enjoyed it. Um, I am shocked by that, Mr. Gordon. And, I know. Uh, I was floored when he told yeah, me last week. Yeah. Wow. And uh, I can't see everything. Sorry, but I'm getting. This, but I'm glad I did see it. I'm glad you chose it because uh, mm-hmm. you know both the original 
La Caja Fall and this one, uh, the, the remake, are, I think are both valid. They're both great uh, mm-hmm. to watch. Uh, it's interesting to watch the differences of them since I saw them almost back to back within like a couple nights. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really interesting. And they both, I think, hold up pretty well. Uh, unfortunately, the issues that they are satiring uh, are still relevant. Still and that's with sad. us today. Yep. Um, oh, very much so. But uh, also, you know, like Nichols and May. should not chew gum. Nichols and oh, May are awesome. still a great comedy team and uh, in writing and, and directing this. And then, uh, you know, the, the late Robin Williams is just like, this is one of the ones that, uh, you know, is high up on, on my list of his performances as well. Yeah, it's a great Robin Williams. It's a great movie for all of these actors, to be very honest with you. Um, yes, 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 yes. And, you know, a lot of them have gone on to do many, many projects. Mm-hmm. You know, this established Nathan Lane as, you know, pretty much, you know, a star. And, mm-hmm. you know, because before, like you said, the only thing I remembered for him from before this was Lion King. Well, yeah, but he, he was a Broadway guy. And oh, he still is a Broadway guy. Uh, but, hey, movies make more money. So <laughs> it's like, call me, I'll do it. You know? <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. So, well, cool. Uh, and I take it, you know, um, the message, like I said, for me, it still felt like, I mean, it's, there was a little bit of datedness, of course, because the time mm-hmm. period and Bob Dole references and all yeah. that, but um, you know, it does seem like it's still relevant to me. And I, I take it that the, that the, uh, that the relevance and as well as the, um, the message is still, is still, uh, you know. Well, yeah, family's family. That works for you guys. You know, and you, you mm-hmm. do what you have to for family. And uh, you choose your family above others, you. even if it kills you. Yeah. I mean, like, that's, I think Albert's kind of defiance is the heart of the movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he can't pass. And, no. and he decides that he, he ref- he's going to refuse to disappear. He exists, mm-hmm. damn it. And so he leans in. And, and it's like, I can't be a man. I'll be right. a woman. Thank you. And, and when he does, it, 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 interestingly, his, his act works. Mm-hmm. It, it's Armin and Val who are, who are causing all the problems by freaking out. Well, it's Val. I mean, Val well, causes it's also Armand. Armand in that in that instance. Yeah. When I mean, I'm talking about specifically when Albert is masquerading as as oh, true, drag true. As, as the mother. I did find it amusing that they. In fact, there, there's one um, when the quote the shrimp scene that was apparently an ad lib because Robin Williams <laughs> slipped accidentally in that scene, <laughs> and he was trying to hold it together for them to get it in the movie. <laughs> And mm-hmm. he was just trying to leave. like, yeah. Grabbing uh, the pot and going, ah. Yeah. But oh, I, I, yeah. The plates. I think, Guys, I think, check your plates before you have guests <laughs> over, okay? I, I think to your point, Mary, the, the, the fact that it's, uh, you know, uh, Albert's character is the one that actually gets um, Gene Hackman, you know, the mm-hmm. senator's character, to in drag by the end. It's like, Here's the guy they were all worried about, and yet by the end of this movie, he got him on like yeah. quote mm-hmm. uh, like on their side. Really. Oh my god, know? a drag queen just saved my political career. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Ain't that, like, ain't that a turn of the tables? That that uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, Albert's actually Albert is the strongest character because Albert yep. is the one who knows absolutely who he is and mm-hmm. refuses to be anything else. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. No, nope, agree completely. Preach. 
preach, sister, preach. <laughs> no, I would, I would so recommend this movie to anybody. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. such a fabulous film. It's a fun movie. Yes. So, this is hell, so. and there's a crucifix in it. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's very, it's actually very interesting what what they do with their production design and the set design as they're making it more and more rigid. Mm-hmm. As they're, I mean, they're they are literally caging themselves totally by putting on these suits, by um, taking away everything that gave them joy in their home. Yep. <laughs> And, and turning it into this this dank almost it's, dungeon. It's like thing. if a designer came in and said, "Well, you know, you have a good space, but all this geek stuff's just got to go." Everyone yeah, be exactly. like, Get the hell out! Get the hell out! <laughs> mm-hmm. You're not going to take away what sparks joy out of my life. Goodbye. Just so you can have a painting that matches the couch. Go away. <laughs> wow. That's true. Okay. Well, that's awesome. So, what do we got coming up next, sir? It's going to be a surprise. Oh, I love surprises for us we're all. Gonna, we're going to we're going to surprise you. <laughs> okay, well, we will definitely surprise you with car, that. a car battery and nipple clamps next time. We'll see. We'll see. Oh, oh, oh no, no, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> with that note, let's take a quick break and we'll be back with our creative outlet. everybody. Michelle here with an iconic rock talk show moment. Rest in power to Ronnie Spector, uh, the beautiful and tough singer with that powerful yet crystalline voice that made her and the Ronettes, the muses of the wall of sound in the 60s, had the iconic hit with Be My Baby, a single that uh, artists and critics and writers ever since have considered one of the best singles of all time. Um, She passed away last week at the age of 78. And we're all still in this Omicron variant uncertainty. Um, But uh, two major music festivals have announced their lineup. So they're going ahead with it. Let's hope everything is kind of calmed down by then. Uh, Coachella is happening April 15th through 17th and 22nd through 24th. The headliners will be Harry Styles, Billie Eilish, and Kanye West. The other performers, among many, include Doge Cat, Run the Jewels, Big Sean, and Danny Elfman. And Bonnaroo is back for the first time in three years. That sh- festival has been the victim of plagues and natural disasters, hurricanes, and they're going to shoot for June 16th through 19th this year. Uh, Stevie Nicks is headlining the final night, and other performers include Robert Plant and Alison Krauss, Tool, The Chicks, Machine Gun Kelly, Herbie Hancock, and Churches, among many others. This has been the Iconic Rock Talk Show moment. Check out the blog at iconicrocktalkshow.wordpress.com, and we'll catch you next time. Hey, Dad, what's the Soul Forge podcast? The Soul Forge podcast is all about life, the universe, and everything. Is it good for kids? Oh, no, it's not good for kids. Is it geeky? Oh, it can be geeky. But it can also be serious. We talk about life, sex, dating, and mental health, and so much more. Where can you find a Soul Forge podcast? You can find it everywhere. iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, Amazon Music, and the ESO Network.
Hey, everyone, and welcome for the Creative Outlet segment. And we are here now with Justin Gray. Welcome back to Earth Station One, sir. I am happy to be back. Thank you for having me. Oh, no problem. So what do you got going for you this time, sir? I am doing another Kickstarter for a brand new uh, pulp book. I, I did Spicy Pulp. And now I'm doing Bleeding Pulp, which has more of a creature feature horror twist to the uh, pulpiness of it. And um, it has 56 pages. It's two stories, full color, uh, in different genres of the same sort of feeling. One is I Eat Monsters, and it was an idea that I had and I forgot about. And then I was going through old emails, and I saw the idea, and I was like, oh, I see what I was doing at the time, and now I see how I can make it better. So essentially, it's this character who um, her brothers are attacked by a monster from under the bed, which I I originally started out as kind of like, what if Ghostbusters was rated R? And (laughs) it's like, so basically, this monster attacks her brothers and she fights back. And the only way she can fight back is with her teeth. And then she discovers that eating monsters has certain attributes to it. And um, we follow the character arc of the story. It should be about six chapters long about how, why this happened to her brothers, why she has this ability, and how she can sort of correct the mistakes or at least find some peace in her life after these horrible things happened to her when she was only nine years old. And there's a backup story, um, which involves H.P. Lovecraft, because I've always wanted to do an H.P. Lovecraft type story. Um, So he's actually a variation of him is in it set in 1930. And it has to do with all the mythology. And I think it has an interesting twist on it. And that's only um, two chapters. So that will be a complete story in 40 pages between Bleeding Pulp 1 and Bleeding Pulp 2. And that's where I'm at with that. Wow. That is awesome. Wow. I'm I'm interested in this already. It's (laughs) like, this just sounds awesome. Absolutely. Looking at the uh, artwork, uh, I Eat Monsters looks like uh, Nightmare Fuel. (laughs) Yeah. For most of us. For most of us. (laughs) And... uh, the other, the other story looks beautiful as well. The man, you always find the right artists. I, I really try. I feel like that the, the art really drives ninety percent of everything. I mean, I do the best that I can, um, telling the stories, but there's so much of a vibe that I get from the artists and and such a symmetry between what we're doing. And it's interesting because I, um, Roy and uh, Thigo and I were doing Lady Redbeard with Spicy Pulp and we wanted to do the next thing, you know, and I was like, what's the next thing? What's the right thing to do with them? And, um, I found the story again and I was like, let's do this. And at first they were a little bit like, well, what is this? You know, what, what is it about? And I, I sent the script and they were like, Oh my God, this is crazy. And like, and, and you can see that they, they kind of gelled in it in a different way because it's such a different story from what they had worked on with me before. Um, I always like, I always like the sense of them discovering something within themselves. And, and uh, it's interesting because Roy is doing it all digitally and he didn't do it digitally on Lady Redbeard. He did all, uh, traditional. So it's been kind of a learning process for him, but it's the rawness of it and the energy of it is there in a way that I, I think really benefits the story. That's awesome. When you could see the energy coming from the artist and your story comes to life like that, that's yep probably beautiful for you. And, and I have to also, I have to uh, give a big shout out to Milenko and he's doing the, um, the Madame Beldam backup story. Um, and he had a style, I had seen it online and I was like, wow, this guy's amazing. 
Um, he's a traditional artist. He works on paper. In fact, he was, because he was going back and forth between his day job, the size of the paper was too big. So he was cutting the paper in half and doing the panels on two different sheets of paper, cutting the 11 by 17 in half. And um, I, it just, I, I kind of love that he has this sort of organic process with everything. So we, we've also hit on that. I mean, a, he loves Jordi Bernay. There's definitely a Jordi Bernay feel to mm-hmm. it. And I, I really like bringing in artists who aren't influenced by some of the traditional mainstream American artists. Um, and that's really what, what I kind of look for, to be honest with you. Yeah, yeah. Little little Guy Davis there, too, I think. Um, yeah, yeah, for yeah, sure. I could see that, too. Yeah, very, very cool. Very cool. Um, anything different or you want to point out about this Kickstarter as opposed to uh, some of the others you've done? Um, I, I changed the format on the actual book itself. I wanted to make it flat back instead of side stapled. I wanted to uh, increase um, the cover stock. And, uh, instead of, you know, I, I've run into some issues. You always, I, at least I am always trying to do something new. And I look at Kickstarter as a, as an air arena where I can try different types of paper styles, different types of finishes. And sometimes they work out great and sometimes they don't. Um, so for this, I really wanted it to be more organic and more just about the book. And, and then we had some fun. Like I, I reached out to Antonio Brandao, who I've known forever. He did Dude Bro the Barbarian. And uh, he did the first uh, complete short story in um, Spicy Pulp 1. Uh, he's just a great guy, and we have a, a really good relationship. He did Strawberry Milk in mm-hmm. the last... Um, anyway, uh, I, I wanted to have some fun. I was like, let's just do something with cooking, because I worked as a chef for so many years, and I and I sort of fell into this sort of let's have fun with the covers, and I eat monsters, and just do playful like old pinup styles of when they used to do the pinups of girls in the kitchen and they'd have these little skimpy aprons and taste with the spoon. And, and I thought it would be fun to do that with monsters as in the soup broth or whatever are on the grill. So those are some of the things that we're doing. That's a little bit different. It may not necessarily fit with the story, but it's kind of like a lot of fun and a nice little art piece to have. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, as we're recording this, you've got a little, just a little bit over three weeks left to go. Um, and, uh, we definitely want to point people to the Kickstarter. We'll have a link in the show notes, but if you want to tell people where they can, where they can find it. Um, it's on Kickstarter for sure. And, um, if you look up my name, I'm sure, because this is my 18th Kickstarter. (laughs) Um, I mean, I, I love Kickstarter and, and it's, it's really been, an opportunity to do things differently. All, all the crowdfunding platforms have been, um, I think revolutionary as far as comics go and, and not, not having to sort of follow down the same path that everyone else had to do because I did that and it was fun for a little while, but the landscape has changed radically. And I think that there's room for all kinds of voices. And I think you're going to get, uh, more opportunities with crowdfunding to, to, to look at comics that are different than you will in the mainstream, um, basically the publishing stuff and the superhero stuff and everything else, which is, you know, it's great. I love all those characters, but I really wanted to do something different. And thanks to everyone that supports Kickstarter and crowdfunding, those different things can actually happen. And I don't have to worry about whether or not it's going to reach X amount of people or, or hit whatever boxes that need to be hit um, with the corporation. So uh, if you're on Kickstarter, it's Bleeding Pulp, or you can look up my name, or any one of the Spicy Pulps, or Standstill, or anything. I'm sure all those will 
lead back to me for better or worse. Yeah, yeah, awesome, awesome. Eighteenth, huh? Wow. Do you get like if you do two more, do you get like a Kickstarter jacket or something? I, I wish. I mean, I did twelve with Jimmy, so <laughs> oh my goodness, plus twelve. I feel like um, I feel like it's been a lot. But yeah, that's a lot. And I, you know what? I love it. I love that I get to physically package books for people. I'm directly interacting with people who love what I'm doing. Otherwise, they wouldn't be there. So like the, the everyday conversations or when new people come in and they say they read, you know, uh, recently Standstill 8 went out. So some people were just got 1 through 8 for the first time and they just plowed right through it in a weekend. And we're like, where is there more? And I'm like, it takes, it takes time to make these. Like we, <laughs> it takes, we're trying. But, um, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's so much more rewarding than sort of wading through the review sites and seeing like what your aggregation is on you know how many stars you get across a broad spectrum of people and it's really just more fun for me to just directly interact with people who are supporting the book reading the book love the book that's that's really more important to me than anything than wizard magazine or things that you know used to be milestones or yardsticks where everyone you know said okay well this is success and for me it's just interacting with people who love the book that's it that's Absolutely. awesome Absolutely. Absolutely. I just signed up, so you got another one. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I'm sure we'll disappoint you tremendously. Oh, that's okay. I'm I'm used to being disappointed. I podcast, so it's okay. <laughs> but so that's awesome, dude. Well, Justin, thank you, thank you so much, and good luck with no, this. No, thank you, guys. I appreciate you're, it. You're already at 85%. I think you're going to definitely knock it out of the ballpark once again. All right. I'm very excited for that to happen because that means we can do more. And there's definitely more written and more being drawn right now. So it all works out for me if it, if it, if it funds. Awesome. 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 Well, hopefully here's the good things. All right. Thank you. No problem. Let's take a quick break and we'll be back and we are going to close up the show. Welcome to a geek girl's take. I'm your host, Angela. And this week, this geek girl is talking about James Gunn's new DC show peacemaker. So we met Peacemaker in the Suicide Squad movie and learned how much of a self-centered hero, anti-hero, he is. Now, he has his own show, and it's pretty freaking funny. The show starts a little after the final credits of the Suicide Squad movie. Peacemaker is being told to take it easy and that he can leave the hospital. He makes real quick at this because he knows he's still supposed to be in prison. Well, what he doesn't know is he's going to help Amanda Waller's team take out some baddies. In return, he'll get his prison sentence lowered. So far, the first three episodes have been released on HBO Go. This show is incredibly funny. It really likes 80s music and has the best animal character ever in Eagly, Peacemaker's pet eagle. The characters are interesting. Even the ones you aren't supposed to like are interesting enough to keep you wanting to watch to see what happens. I'm also very interested in where the side story is going with Peacemaker's father, who is not a good person. So it's really interesting to see what they're going to do with that. At first, when this show was announced, I really wasn't sure what they were going to do. But after seeing the first three episodes, I really cannot wait to watch the rest of it because it looks like it's going to be a really fun ride. Also, I'm totally going to watch it for more eagerly because that little eagle cracks me up. Well, thanks for listening to A Geek Girl's Take. What will I talk about next week? Well, you're going to have to listen to find out.
before we get out of here tonight, of course, let's say hey to our sponsor for the tonight's show, Inked Marketing. Inked Marketing has a Kickstarter starting on January 21st. Amerikaiju returns. Amerikaiju is back. Well, almost. Get ready for the return to, to the town of Precious. Monsters have taken over the town, so Ike is back to take on the Chupacabras. Monsters move into town, and a five-year-old Ike is back to save the day. Ike is granted emergency powers and charged with the safety of his sleepy little town. His mentors, an offbeat pair of brothers, battle over every decision that needs to be made, especially when it comes to training Ike, a.k.a. Hero. Now Ike, rather, Hero, must take on the likes of Chupacabra, Jersey Devil, and the Beast of Bosco, in order to save his home and possibly his world from the destructive nature of the Amerikaiju. Check it out. Check it out at inked.pub slash Amerikaiju. That's A-M-E-R-I-K-A-I-J-U. Like it sounds. Pretty cool. And of course, speaking of pretty cool, let's thank our folks for being here tonight. This was a fun one. Darren, you knocked it out of the ballpark, sir. Well, we're all family, right? Oh, That's what we the song are says. Family. That's right. <laughs> or as come as you are, as the poster mm. said. Indeed. So no, it's a, it's a fun movie. I love I love the birdcage. It's always good for perking up uh, your spirits. I find mm-hmm. so after the holidays, it was a good little pickup and everything. Mm-hmm. So yeah, awesome. What do you got to shout out about, sir? Uh, just that I am uh, doing Legion of Superheroes on uh, Legion of Substitute and we'll be talking about the new Justice League versus the Legion of Superheroes book that came out the other day. I think I think that episode posted uh, today on Monday. Uh, as we're recording this. Oh, I, re- um, I read it and wrapped it in the fish after. Oh, come oh. on. It wasn't that bad. Jesus. Um, this this guy over here. Oy. Um, <laughs> and beyond that. Um, I hear we're doing the Dragon Con report again this year. Is that correct? That is correct. That was one of my shout outs later, but you oh. saved me from it. Awesome. Well, there you go. So yep. I hear I hear that's coming up. So yes, you know, it's... only only three hundred and forty something days to plan your cosplays. So, you know, that's <laughs> not a lot. Nope. Or two hundred and forty. Two hundred and forty. You're yeah, yeah, you're 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 backing us Sorry, back I was to thinking, October. I, I was thinking the beginning of the year. <laughs> and well, I was also yeah. in denial. <laughs> so there's that. Yeah, it's even less time than you think. Yeah, it, is. it, it always, always is. is less time. Always is less time. Yep, that's right, folks. The Dragon Con report is back for 2022, and we will be coming back to you starting this month. And so look at it up on either esonetwork.com or you can go to dragonconreport.com for it and everywhere over Facebook and all the different Dragon Con Facebook groups. It's pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. So thank you. Thank you for everything you do for us. Well, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. You are more than welcome. And, of course, Mary Ogle, great to have you here tonight. Oh, thank you for having me. I love talking about The Birdcage. It's such a great movie. It was nice, actually, not having to talk about Doctor Who with you for once. (laughs) (laughs) I think this is the first movie in a while that we've done um, in the Rainbow Room that someone didn't die. That's true. That's true. Yeah, yeah. Well, we never saw what... uh, you know, Senator Keeley's uh, ratings were after that. Yeah, his career <laughs> might have tanked, but, you know. But, you know, that's a whole different Let's story. Let's hope that it did. Oh, God, yes. <laughs> so, thank you as always, Mary. Anything you want to shout out about? Um, just that you can find me at maryogle.com or on Etsy at eVisionArts. 
Excellent. Thank you, as always. And, of course, Mr. Mike, we made it through another one, my friend. We did, and as always, it's my pleasure. Anything you want to shout out about? Uh, I do. I do want to touch on something really quick, and this is, uh, I don't want to bring the show down terribly, but um, uh, look, uh, we're all going through stuff still. Um, It's 20... 22 too right um mm-hmm. um and uh you know unfortunately i um uh was in a position where a good friend of mine is having struggling and um you know was in a really bad way and uh i uh i, I had we had to get the um uh suicide prevention lifeline um mm-hmm. involved and i just wanted to give a shout out to the people who uh are running that and who are volunteering for that because let me tell you, that is a difficult, difficult, difficult job and a difficult responsibility. And I, I can't even imagine uh, the calls that they get and are doing it 24 hours a day. Um, it just must take the toll on those people. So um, they helped me out. They helped my friend out. And um, I just wanted to uh, just give a shout out to them. And, and look, if you have any sort of inkling of of being in a, in emotional distress in that way don't be afraid to call them 800-273-8255 um don't be afraid uh they will help you yes they will no matter what they will you know talk to you they will point you in the right direction there's so much they can do and and it's not just for the people who are under distress themselves. It's like, like, like myself, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to handle things. I didn't know I was, I wanted to be careful on what I said, et cetera, et cetera. And they helped me uh, and gave me some resources as well. So they're a good resource to have for that kind of thing. And I appreciate them a lot. Perfect. That is cool. I'm glad you were able to do that, Mike. And you're a good friend for doing that for her or him. So very awesome. Very, very awesome. My shout out. Um, well, Darren did one of my shout outs that the Dragon Con report is back. Uh, so it's pretty darn awesome. We also had the third episode of ESO Rants and Raves go live. We, uh, Mike and I were talking about season three of the Doom Patrol and boy, did we rant and rave on that one. It was, <laughs> it was a lot of fun to talk about. So that's available to all patrons of the ESO network at any level. So you could definitely check it out. We definitely would love to hear from you guys on what you think about it. If you know what we're doing, because there's just not enough time for Mike and I to review everything here on our station one. So that's why we spun off to a new, you know, new series for patrons. And so definitely check it out at ESO Network Patreon at patreon.com slash ESO Network. Definitely would love you guys to get involved with that and let us know what you guys would like to see us rant and rave about because we've been raving quite a bit. I think we need a good rant. I really think we need a good rant coming. But um, the other thing I was going to talk about real quick, um, Judy and I started watching a new show, well, a returning show on PBS actually, and... It's on Masterpiece Theater, of course, and I'm talking about the return of All Creatures Great and Small. And the remake is – I think it's blowing away even the original, which is very beloved to many, many people. And I'm just having a blast watching it. They put the whole um, second season up all at once so you can binge watch it and they're great. 
they are just great. The cinematography is beautiful. The acting is great. The stories are amazing and they're entertaining, but it's not anything like, you know, there's a dastardly landlord trying to take over the village or something like that. So it's pretty cool. And um, while we're on the topic of Masterpiece Theater, also, for those who are not watching Around the World in 80 Days with David Tennant on it, you are missing a treat. It is awesome. I know this is highbrow for, you know, our show usually. <laughs> but, you know, you know, PBS, what is that? Yeah. So it's, it's interesting, um, but it's going to be a lot of fun to see where the series is going. They are putting out the Around the World in 80 Days weekly, so you can't binge watch it. And they just aired the third episode last night, and it just gets better and better with each episode. And, you know, and it's nice because I read the book years ago, and I've seen different versions of it. And, you know, Phineas Fobb is not a nice guy. And he's, you know, and it's so it's it's interesting to see Tennant play this kind of type of character who's not the heroic or the bad, the straight out bad guy like he was in Marvel and, you know, things like that. So it it just it's great to see. And it's just a ton of fun. So enjoy. Check it out. Find it online or download the PBS app. You could watch it there, too. So definitely check it out. Join us again next week. We have a good show for us. Dr. Scott and Company is back next week, and we are going to be looking at is 2022 the year spaceflight takes off. So it's going to be interesting with all the different, you know, SpaceX, uh, with Elon Musk and NASA doing their stuff and Bezos doing his stuff and Virgin doing their stuff. There's just so much different things happening with science right now. I thought it would be kind of fun just to look at that again. And we haven't done a good science episode for quite some time. So it should be a blast to talk about. Get it? Let's see what I did. Ha, ha, ha. Waka, waka. See what you did there. Yep, yep, yep. It should be. And I approve. Yay. (laughs) That's awesome. I'm glad Mike approves on that. But we wanted to thank everyone for joining us tonight. We definitely would love to hear from you guys. Please write us, of course, at feedback at earthstation1.com. We definitely would love to hear what you guys thought about Birdcage. Did you guys see that one originally? When I posted up on Facebook that Judy and I were watching it last night, we got a lot of feedback. You know, people, you know, posting memes from it. And there's just so many memorable moments in this movie. It's just awesome. And, you know, please, you know, we definitely would love to hear from you. Thanks for listening to the Earth Station One podcast. We're powered, of course, by NSC. You can find them at nsclivetv.com. Remember, you can also find Earth Station One wherever podcasts are found, including now, of course, Audible, Amazon, Spotify, Stitcher, Apple, Google, you name it. Earth Station One is there with all of them. You know, and we're not proud to ask people to tell all your friends and neighbors to listen. On behalf of myself, Mike Faber, Mr. Mike Gordon, Miss Mary Ogle, and of course, Mr. Darren Noel. Thanks for listening. We will see you here next time on Earth Station One. Stay safe, hug your loved ones, peace, and let's go go to the music. We gotta go to the birdcage. I think we definitely all should go. It would be a great meet up there. And we're done. Peace. You've been listening to the Earth Station One podcast, a show by fans for fans. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe to our show up on iTunes or wherever fine podcasts are found. While you're up there, please rate us and remember to leave feedback. It would greatly be appreciated. And remember to tell your friends all about us while you're at it. 
Earth Station One is available on most social media sites where you can join some really great topics or chats. Help support our show by shopping through our Amazon.com link or purchasing very cool ESO Network clothing and merchandise at our T Public store. Links to both are found on the top of our ESO Network webpage. Become a patron of the ESO Network by backing us up on Patreon for as little as 25 cents a week. Go to patreon.com slash ESO Network to sign up. We want to hear from you. Please write us at earthstation1 at esonetwork.com or call us at 404-963-9057. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time here on the Earth Station One podcast. Peace, and we're done. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.